Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Today's scripture comes from John 15, 19, or 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, um, sometimes we prepare a sermon series, and we really don't know what it'll be like or where we're going to go. It's kind of like a, a little adventure of sorts. This sermon series, for, for me personally, has turned out to be really, really, really meaningful. It's been really, really sweet, and I've heard from a lot of you that you've really enjoyed the content of this uh, sermon series. So thank you. You're not alone. I'm there with you. Just kind of a recap of where we've been. The first week we talked about in the Soul Care series, we talked about just being reintroduced to our soul. What is the purpose of the soul? What is God doing within our soul? The second week we talked about um, how to care for our, slow, our soul is to have a slowed down spirituality. And the pace and the rhythm of modern life actually does damage to our soul. So if we want to discover what true soul care is, we got to learn a different rhythm and a different pace for life. Week number three, we talked about how to have an embodied spirituality, that if we want to have soul care, we don't learn to denigrate our body and lift up our soul, but there's actually overlap. And caring for our body is caring for our soul. Last week, Fabs shared an awesome sermon. If you haven't heard it, please go back and listen to it on interior examination. If we want to have soul care, we're going to have to do the hard work at looking beneath the surface at the stories that we hold within our personhood, the stories that dictate our soul's health and bring them in the light of Christ and see if that story makes sense of our life and sounds like Jesus. Awesome sermon. Thank you, Fabs, for that. But today, I want to talk about something different. If we were to stop right here, we would think about soul care in many ways like this personal project. It's like this individual contemplative work that we're called to do on our own. So soul care is just me and God. But the reality is, is that is not how our souls have been wired. Our soul has been wired to be in relationship with other people. So therefore, we could never discover true soul care on our own. There's different ways I thought about having this message today. And the idea I landed on was to actually bring a friend from my life here to talk about the significance of friendship, of spiritual friendship. And so I want to invite Kyle up here. Kyle and I have been friends for over 20 years. I have more life with Kyle in my life than I had before. 
Uh, Kyle worked in youth ministry for over 20 years. Hey, Kyle. Hello. Uh, I'm doing a little bio about you. Thank you. Um, he worked with youth, youth ministry for only uh, nearly two decades. One of his youth back there in Houston, Texas, was Abby, who's leading our youth ministry today. How beautiful is that? Isn't that awesome? And so uh, Kyle, uh, he recently made a transition from working within a church to working as a therapist. Uh, now, I could share pictures of Kyle and I through the years, of uh, the many different adventures that we've been on. I could talk about how Kyle and I rode donkeys through Mexico and how this picture is literally right before he broke his elbow when he fell off the donkey. I could do that. I could also share pictures of how we welcome each other as children in the hospital back when people used to visit people in the hospital. <laughs> we stopped doing that. Um, there's something weird about not bringing a bunch of random people to the place where people are sick and have a newborn, right? There's something weird about that. Or I could talk about how Kyle and I have had the privilege of leading churches in worship and, and together for all these years. But I'm just not going to do it, Kyle. Perfect. I'm not going to do it. Good. Uh, we've had a lot of shared life, but uh, honestly, Kyle has a, a true gift of wisdom and doing so in a winsome way. So would you guys please welcome Kyle Bender here. Thank you. So, Thanks, hey, Mark. Yeah. Kyle, how do you spend your days? That's kind of like an introductory question that we toss around at each other. How do you spend your days? Sure, yeah, I spend part of my day uh, as an unpaid Uber driver chasing three kids around. I have three daughters. Yep. And then the rest of my day, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist associate. Uh, and so I see clients um, kind of daily in the office and work with them in that way. Yep. And is it true that to be true friends with each other, you have to have longer hair? Yes. Okay, absolutely. great. Cool, 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 your cool, hair cool. has to match the length of your relationship. <laughs> Are you wearing product so we, today? Are keep... you wearing product today? Be honest. No, no product. No, me this either. Is, this is I it. probably need it. It's probably whipping out in some weird ways. So this is it, guys. This is what we do together. <laughs> All right, let me set the stage a little bit about our conversation today. Our belief uh, is that the human experience is a relational experience. There's just no getting around it. This is how our souls were created. And even the way in which we believe the Christian story begins, it begins with this. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is this uh, beautiful rhythm that God has in creation where God in these different days would create and then deem it good. And this, this is like a crescendo of God's goodness, of seeing God's creation and delighting in it. And then on day 6, God creates humanity and calls it very good. And after that day, God rested with, uh, with humanity, this is what we talked about in our Slow Down Spirituality Week, how our first day with God was a day of rest. So everything was good, but there was something that God saw that was not good. And we might think, well, that's the fall, that's when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, that's when everything fell apart. But there was actually something before that that God saw. Uh, and it was when God looked at Adam and saw that Adam was alone, and for the first time in all creation, that God said, it is not good for man to be alone. This was the first thing that God saw in his creation. It was like, no, this is, this is not in alignment with what I desire for human, humanity to experience. And even though, listen, even though Adam and God had perfect union, there's no shame, there's no discord, there's no regrets, they're in perfect union, it still wasn't good. And it makes us ask this question, what was wrong? What was wrong with Adam being alone? 
Well, there's several answers to that, but one of them is this, that we were created in the image of God. And so this is how God's intent was, is that humanity were to be to reflect the image of who God is. And so God's character and characteristics, that what hopefully when we are living in a flourishing way, we would be able to demonstrate or reflect who God is. So perhaps one of the reasons why God saw Adam's experience and deemed it not good was that God's, uh, God's deep personhood is relational. God is community. So God was never alone. The idea that we might have that God created humanity because God was lonely and bored and needed something to do, it's just not true. The Father, Son, and Spirit existed for all of time, if we can use that word for them, all of time in unbroken, beautiful community. So therefore, for us to be created in God's image, we are created by a relational God to be in relationship with others. We are created by this divine community for community. So Kyle, how do you see that at work? And and Kyle is going to take this from a theological point of view, but also around therapy, what we know about the brain and that kind of thing as well. So how do you see that that image bearing at work? Yeah, I mean, I I think what you hear right there is, is where we flourish is in connection with each other. As a therapist, I do want to just note that there is loneliness. Uh, Loneliness happens in the human experience, and it happened in relationship in the beginning. That's not really what we're focusing on today, but as we talk about relationship, I want to just at least note that, that loneliness does happen even in relationship. But what's been really fun for me over the last years as I've transitioned into the therapy world is to really see this Genesis poem show up in the trainings and the science that I'm being exposed to. Um, It's been a thrill to see this theology of the Trinity as community show up in the science of what it means to be human. Um, Essentially, we're learning a lot more about what the mind is. In five years, we'll know a lot more. Um, But we're learning a lot more about what a healthy mind is. And one of the things that we know is that our biology, that a healthy mind and all these things are being shaped by our relational interactions, Our lives and our neurobiology are shaped by our relational interactions with one another. Um, We interact nervous system to nervous system, right brain to right brain, in all these ways that actually don't show up in the conscious mind, but happen as we're together. And when I think about that, I often think of the passage of where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That between us, there's this dynamic space where things are happening at all times, and there is the potential of the divine in that space. Um, And that's exciting to me. Um, So in a similar manner to the Trinity being in relationship, you and I, it's true of us as well, and the research shows that. One of the leading thinkers, Dan Siegel, he, he states this, that the brain is a social organ, and our relationships to one another are not a luxury, but an essential nutrient to our survival. I love that idea that we matter to each other, not only in our experience, but we are wired. It's in our biology. Our brain is a social organ that craves connection, and it's essential to our survival. The hard part is I think you and I live in a world where we can actually kind of ignore this. We can kind of isolate ourselves from this a little bit, but it doesn't change sort of the biological imperative or God's creation intent that we need each other, we learn from each other, we grow with each other, we connect with each other, that that we matter, and that what we're doing today in gathering and being with each other really matters. So we could look at this like a a theological belief that Christians have is like this 
fellowship, if we're going to use a, a churchy word. This fellowship is really, really important. But what we're seeing is even sociologists, as they're studying, and you and I talked about a couple of different studies this week, is that they're just reaffirming this, this Christian belief that we have of valuing friendship in a deep way. So like a Harvard review shared that people who lived with significant friendship are 50%, they have a 50% increased likelihood of survival, 50%, like a coin toss, for participants with stronger social relationships, regardless of age, sex, initial health status, and even the cause of death. So 50% stronger odds for survival just by having significant relationships. They said this, that the effects on mortality risk roughly are, are comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day and greater than obesity and physical inactivity. So what we're teaching our Vine youth right now is if they have significant friendships, they can smoke 15 <laughs> cigarettes a day. It's the same. I hope that it's okay with you all. I mean, but like for you, that, that quote that you shared earlier, Kyle, uh, the word nutrients, <laughs> that our relationships are the nutrients for our soul. That for me is striking. And what we're finding here in these studies are the very, that there's no way of getting around this. Flourishing happens when we experience deep friendship. And so this Harvard study was done in 2011. So guys, just think about what's happened since 2011. Not many things, right? A lot's happened that have actually, I believe, exacerbated these experiences. It's like we socially went through this gigantic experiment over the last three, four years, and what sociologists and psychologists are calling what we've gone through, they are now calling it this. They're calling it friendship recession. That what they have discovered, and this is, there's a graph that I wanna share here that it's, there's a lot of data to it, but I find it really, really meaningful. So this graph compares two different studies, one done in 1990 and the other one done after COVID, well, yeah, 2021. So after COVID kind of has really taken its effect. And the two studies, what it shows is just the average number of friends that people have. And so this graph com compares these two different years. And let's start with women, shall we? There's a graph on the, on the right if you want to deal, uh, look at it. But what, what it found in 1990 was 10 uh, people that women who had 10 friends or more, 28% of women had that in 1990. In 2021, that went down to 11%, women who had 10 or more friends. What about five or more friends? Well, in 1990, half of women had five or more friends. Just uh, two years ago, that went down to 37%. That's the recession that we're seeing. Let's see about men. Men usually have a harder time making friends. Did anyone see that uh, Saturday Night Live commercial about women dropping their husbands off at a dog park because they just couldn't handle the, need, the relational need that they were suffocating with them? And so they dropped them off at a dog park and the guys would just look at each other and they'd just go, Marvel? Marvel. Yeah, Marvel. You know, it's <laughs> perfect. So, so stinking funny. So what about men? Men have a harder time. Let's look at that slide. So 10 or more friends. In 1990, 40% of men had 10 or more friends. In 2021, that went down to 15%. About five or more friends went from 68 to 31%. Like, that's half, half. And what was really alarming for a lot of uh, sociologists and psychologists was, in particular, this stat. The number of people without any significant friends. 10% of women are living without a single significant friendship and 15% of men. 
So just think of all the different forces that we've experienced in our society that have exacerbated this issue. The fact that we now work remotely, we're not having that awkward, you know, stand around the water jug conversations with our coworkers as much anymore. That people are more transient. You can, you can live and work from wherever. So people are uprooting uh, and moving around more and more. There's tensions and divisions that we're having more socially that have divided friends, that have torn us apart, that you know, I've, I've experienced in my own life that have just been absolutely heartbreaking. Then there's social media engagement that has the feeling of significant friendship, but it doesn't move the needle when it comes to our soul need. So all of these things we, we, we begin to realize is that this recession of friendship, this recession of relationship is doing damage, is doing damage to our souls. Kyle, could you share about how you see that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think what we see is that the path of least resistance in our society right now seems to be towards disconnection and maybe even isolation. That that's sort of the easiest way that we can move, um, just by things that are going on. And that's that's worth pausing and just grieving for a moment. I, I grieve that, and those numbers are a bit hard to fathom. But it's also why I love this topic when you first shared it with me is communal presence as soul care. Like just those words are so rich, especially in light of what we just saw. Communal presence as soul care. And we actually know that there's incredible power in being seen. At the end of the day, we all want to be seen, valued, and loved. If we go back to what we know as our wiring as humans, um, is that we come out of the womb craving attachment. The research would say that from our brain's perspective, there's nothing more important than attachment. So for a newborn, as he or she begins to seek out this attachment, they're, they're scanning the environment and they lock eyes with you, with the caretaker, with their parents. And in those moments, their eyes get wide and, and maybe they crack a smile and do that little convulsing thing, but like in a cute way. Um, and it's a great moment. It's a great moment. And here's what we know about this moment. Secure attachment forms as the newborn becomes increasingly aware of the awareness of the adult. Secure attachment forms as the newborn becomes increasingly aware of the awareness of the adult. So it's not that the child sees you, but they see you seeing them. And we're really not that different as adults. As we talk about soul care in terms of communal presence, to be seen and to be accepted by others is a great gift to our souls. Um, I think of the woman at the well, or Zacchaeus in the tree, or the woman caught in adultery. Jesus sees them. Or the story you guys shared recently of Hagar, who names God, the God who sees me. And here, the glance of Jesus is one of empathy and understanding, and there's power in these encounters with Jesus because he sees them, and they become increasingly aware of the awareness of Jesus. And so I wonder as we even sit here today, how aware are we that God is aware of us right now in this moment? I think one of the gifts of communal presence, especially in light of a friendship recession, is that we can help each other and we can remind each other about the possibility of deep and secure connection, not only with God, but with ourselves and with others around us. That is not only possible, but it's good. Yeah, I think, especially building off of the sermon that Fab shared last week, 
uh, I think one of the things we have to unpack is this idea of Jesus or God seeing us. And what is God's posture when God sees us? One of the stories that I received along the way is that God sees me in the face of God is a face of perpetual disappointment. Mm. You know, of like, I um, uh, wish you were, just tried a little harder. Mm. Or like this idea that God uh, looked at me with love and grace for the better version of Mark mm. than the one I was showing up with. And uh, so much of this, like Kyle, what you're saying is like, it begins just like a caretaker uh, gaze with this child for us to see, not only know that uh, God sees us, but also that what's consistent with the life of Jesus is the look of grace, mm. is the look of mercy. Yeah. And through that, then community is formed. So though our culture may be tre- trending away from the value of meaningful friendship, part of following Jesus is embodying something different. We follow the one who valued significant friendship. And so as we as we do this, as we live into that, we're going to discover soul care and communal presence as we live and flesh this out with one another. One of the last conversations that Jesus had with his disciples, with his followers before his cross, he talked about how our souls are going to flourish. He was lovingly looking at his, uh, his followers and wanted to ensure that they were not going to be left alone, but there's a way that their souls were going to flourish. And this was Jesus' words that we heard just a little bit ago from John 15. As the Father has loved me, so now I love you. Remember, this is the image of the one who we embody. Is The image of God is as the Father has loved me. This community of love and mutual encouragement. Now Jesus is saying, as the Father has now loved me, I'm going to extend that love to you. I want you to be in the flow of the Trinitarian love so that now we, through Jesus, can experience that love. And this is what he says. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. Okay, so now we're talking about commandments, of like doing the right thing. For some of us, it might mean like checking the right boxes, doing the right stuff. But Jesus continues by saying this. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Another way of saying that is full, perfect. So Jesus is teaching, his longing is that so that you and I would have joy deep within our souls. This is the point of this teaching. And so what is this commandment that Jesus gives us that we could be people of deep, abiding, soul-filled joy? Is it the Ten Commandments? Is it the commandments that we found in the Gospels around that day and age? Is it, is it, uh, is it something else that we, we should be doing, or this religious striving, or this Bible knowledge, proving ourselves? No, this is what Jesus says. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus is saying, I'm experiencing this community with the Father. Now, I want you to experience it too. And so that's not just Jesus and this individual, but what Jesus is saying, the way that you remain in my love and experience deep joy is that you learn to love one another. You learn what it means to be just true friends. And Jesus goes on by saying, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. This is my command, love 
each other. As followers or apprentices of Jesus, our master's commands, his teaching, his business is love. That's it. It's to be people of deep, abiding love that's not only between us and God, but it's something that we're experiencing when two or more are gathered. This was the purpose of Jesus' coming, God in flesh, was that we would know what it means to be friends. That sounds so childlike, right? Like God came to teach us how to be friends, right? It sounds immature in some ways, but this is how our souls have been created. Now, I'm sure many of us have flags that we'd like to raise, like, okay, you're making it sound like friendships and Christian communities are always simple and easy and life-giving, right? Does anyone have a, a flag to throw? Like, not always the experience that I have. So Kyle, would you talk about that, just the complications we have of living this out with one another? Yeah, so I mentioned we're wired for connection, and we see that in all the research and everything, but we are also, our brains are very specifically wired for survival. They're very specifically wired for survival. As my friend Kelly Flanagan says, we have our connective selves, and we have our protective selves. And I can imagine when we gather in a group like this, it's almost certain that for all of you, both, of you, both your connective parts are here, and your protective parts are also present as we navigate what it means to be together in community. Um, last year, I took a week and I went out to on-site in Tennessee for a week-long group counseling intensive because I guess that's what I do for fun now. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the mantras at on-site is we are hurt in relationship and we heal in relationship. We are hurt in relationship and we heal in relationship. So for six days, I gathered with a group of eight people, and we did some deep healing work together. And as I think about communal presence as soul care, I'm aware that many of us in this room are carrying those hurts in relationship here. Because of this hurt, relationships can easily activate that protective part of us, that survival instinct in our brain. And so as we lean into community, we're going to bump into our hurts in our humanity, since our brains are wired for survival, if our brain perceives a threat, it's going to respond to that. That's what it does, which is really helpful when there's an actual threat. But it's not so helpful, and it can be quite frustrating when it's actually keeping us from moving into deeper and deeper relationships, something that we want to move forward that we believe would be beneficial in our lives. Um, so part of that is when we walk into a room like this, there's at least one part of us that would really love to control it or to almost even possess it in a way so that we can make sure that everything is comfortable for us. And I think one of the challenges of community or communal presence is we really can only participate in it. And to participate means that we open ourselves up to the goodness and the beauty of it, but it also means we open ourselves up to be disappointed and hurt. And so maybe at this point it might be helpful to say, and I think you guys have probably said this throughout the series, is that soul care isn't always comfort. Hmm. You know, I think when I, when I first heard it, you know, I go kind of maybe parks and rec, treat yourself, and I am <laughs> all for that. Like, treat yourself, it's good. But I think as I thought about communal presence, I just couldn't help but think about growth. And part of that for me is because I know I've grown the most in diverse experiences and in diverse places. 
in those places where people don't agree with me, where people are different than me, that have different life experiences, those are places that have enlarged my understanding of what it means to be human, have enlarged my understanding of what it means to love. And the hard part about diverse places is they're going to trigger our protective parts. So if we just say it really simply, um, some people call it the lizard brain. Maybe for this example, we could call it our caveman brain. You know, when we see different in sort of the evolution of our humanity, you know, initially, like, different was a threat. Are they coming to steal my food? <laughs> you know? And so, but that's still in us. We still have that. So those protective parts are going to show up, especially as we lean into diverse community. And so I think it's really important for us to understand, but the invitation, or I think the soul care invitation, is to actually lean into that discomfort. Because those are the places where we grow and our souls enlarge and our understanding of what it means to be human enlarges, our empathy, our love, all these things that we want to be as followers of Jesus grow in that space. That's where we learn how to be better friends and all those kinds of things. So, yeah. That's really it. So, I find it really interesting, the idea of, like, your connective self. Like, you have this innate longing for connection, but there's also a longing for security. And there's sometimes where we need to follow our, that voice of security, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but there are also sometimes where it betrays us, and those voices are at war with each other sometimes. Yeah. How, how do you know when to give that security voice the microphone? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Um, so one of the things that, that I really love and I, I use in therapy a lot is the power of the huh. The power of a huh. Huh. I bet yeah. clients love that. They love it. Yeah. Huh. So, and notice for me that huh has kindness, compassion, and curiosity in it. Um, and so I think one of the things is, is we, we can start to kind of, when we notice some of these things, oh, I feel this sort of protective part of me. I feel this internal battle. I feel something happen. Um, maybe you might notice a sensation in the body. Um, you get tensed up, your chest gets tight, you get uncomfortable. Maybe you might notice a recurring thought that comes like, I'm probably not welcome here, I'm probably not welcome here, something like that. Or, or a flood of emotion as you move into some of these kinds of spaces. That's your body's way of telling you that something's going on. And if we can pay attention to that, we, our, our tendency is to be critical with that. But if we can go, huh, and just notice it with some compassion, some kindness, and some curiosity, then we can start to kind of explore it a little bit. Uh, and it might be helpful here to say that we probably in these places often ask the question, what's wrong with me? Like when we notice that protective part, we, we go, what's wrong with me? And that, that can be the first question we say. And I think a much better question is what happened to me? Hmm. What happened to me? Um, what is this moment reminding me of? And that's where the power of the hunk can go. And you might find that, yeah, there's some pieces of this that don't feel safe to my system. And so in that case, it's, it'd be good to explore that, you know, it, with the divine, with a trusted friend or mentor or pastor. Um, and then kind of work through that with some compassion and curiosity and find out what did happen. And, and how can I adjust and change based on that? But yeah, so sometimes those parts are really protective and we need to pay attention to them. Yeah. And if we can hold them with a little bit of compassion and kindness and curiosity... And also um, just not make it what's wrong with me, but right. actually what happened to me. I think uh, that's good. Lead us where we need to go. So like a practical step for us is we maybe want to fight that trend away from the recession of relationship and actually step into a communal presence as soul care. 
the first step maybe could be noticing yourself while in community, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, what you're saying is, like, treat yourself with some compassion and curiosity. Notice what's going on within yourself while you're in in a community space, right? Yeah. The, the crazy thing, as human beings, we have the ability to notice and observe ourselves. So as you notice your com- connective parts, notice them. Take note. Like, I feel really connected here. And as you notice your protective parts... Get curious and compassionate, and I think it will lead you to some good places. That's great. Uh, maybe another practical uh, step that we can take towards relationships, building significant relationships. Kyle, there's a secret I've discovered in de- developing deep, long relationships. It's a simple solution, and it's time. You just have to put in time to build a significant friendship. When I met Kyle, he was the most awkward, uncomfortable person. Just kidding. He was great. But like, we didn't have a great friendship right off the bat. Like, it took time. We had to have our reps in to, to foster trust with one another, to actually learn each other's stories, to figure out how to care for each other. And like, for many of us, I feel like we want to expect to microwave that, that encounter, that if it isn't just really natural right off the bat, then maybe this just isn't a good friendship. When the reality is, to develop deep, meaningful friendship, it just takes time. So in the same way that we uh, schedule, you know, different ways of caring for ourselves, whether it be working out, whether it be the things that we enjoy doing, our hobbies, I really want to encourage you, if you want to develop deeper friendships, you need to prioritize them. They need to be on your calendar as well as the spontaneous moments of seeing one another. You actually need to have it where you're in the rhythm or the habit of seeing one another. And so I think it's really, really important. And for those who experience an absence of, friend, of friendship, you're not alone. Like this, you should, there's nothing uh, to be feeling shameful about it or guilty about it. Uh, there are a lot of people who are walking this world without that sense of connection with people. And so, for, you know, I had someone, uh, I heard someone ask about the question of, well, how do I discover that kind of friendship if I am missing it? And the line that was repeated was, if you want a friend, be a friend. That oftentimes we feel like we're on the outside of it, and it's something that we have to receive, rather than us initiating that type of friendship that we know that we long for. It, in many ways, it, it mirrors Jesus's golden rule. Uh, so in everything, do for others, do to others what you would have them do to you. So that's, if you want that kind of friendship, Try being that friend for other people and see what happens. There's this truth that we see in this life, I believe, is that you don't attract what you want, you attract what you embody. If you want to have relationships that are full of gossip and bitterness, great, just be it, you know? (laughs) But if you want to have relationships uh, where there's safety, where there's deep knowing, where there's true, authentic care, then that's something that you embody. And oftentimes what you'll find is that life or God will bring that for you and people will be attracted to that as well. Another practical step that I would bring for us in developing these kind of relationships, finding soul care and communal presence, is to do the soul work of mutuality. This for me is like the most important word in this conversation about how to develop deep friendships because the kind of friendships that Jesus wanted us to have is more than just people to have brunch with or happy hour with or to send great memes on Instagram. It's like, that's all good. That's completely good, but it's also something more. Jesus-centered friendships are relationships of mutuality. 
what I mean by that is that there's a sense of intentional mutual commitment to one another. I love this picture that Scott Erickson drew, and this is just reminds me of what we do in community with one another, is this is how we were built for friendship. We take turns for each other. And that's a mantra that I have in my life, is the blessing and the burden of being in community is that you will be exposed to more pain than you would be if you were alone. You'll be exposed to much more heartbreak than you would if you were alone. And that will take a toll on you. But when it's your turn to have that thing go to you, when it's your turn in life to experience brokenness and pain, you won't be alone. And someone will carry you. And the beautiful thing is one day you'll get the privilege to care for them. Did you know that there are 59 one another commandments in scripture? 59 one another commandments. This is our commandments of mutuality. All of those one another commandments are from Jesus or from scripture, teaching us what does it mean to be friends with one another. So how we treat one another. So we find in scripture we have these challenges to encourage one another, to serve one another, to pray for one another, to bear one another's burden, to welcome one another, to forgive one another, and 54 other commandments, all teaching us to follow Jesus, to experience that kind of deep joy of loving one another. It takes mutuality. And it's in this one another that we get to work out our faith. And like Kyle shared, it's even more beautiful when that one another is also laced with diversity. Scott McKnight calls it a fellowship of difference. When the community actually, the Christian community actually looks so different from the rest of the world that is separated by tribes and packs that we actually have this commitment that's not seen in our society where we know that we belong to one another. That's when we flourish the most. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. I can never be who I ought to be until you are who you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. We are caught up in this inescapable network of mutuality, especially as followers of Jesus, because Jesus might show up in the other, teaching you how to love well. I could say so many stories of how, um, uh, sorry, uh, how Kyle did that for me. And the privilege of seeing Christ care in that friendship. And I know I couldn't be who I am ought to, ought to be with this, without this man here. And this is how Jesus created it to happen. Um, Kyle usually mocks me when I cry. So feel free to do it right now, Kyle. <laughs> Would that be helpful if I actually... What's that? Would that be helpful? Yeah. I, don't, I just don't want you to get to, like, ugly cry face. No, no, I'm, I'm good, 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 I'm good. Okay. We're not ugly cry. This is just the pastoral kind of couple tears, you know? Yeah, it's, that's good. I don't know how to end the sermon, so I'm just going to cry a little bit. It brings it home. <laughs> it brings it home. <laughs> well, one of the demonstrations we have of this network of mutuality is this table. So, shall we? We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.